When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt right. And I just thought, well, I had figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Story Clatter, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and have you ever looked at someone and wondered, how did that person wind up in that vocation? Or maybe you've cut a winding path to your career? Hats off to the folks who knew what they were going to do when they were 12, but this week, we're all about non-traditional career paths. Our first story is from Jen Kamara. You may recognize Jen from the stories she has told on the stages of Story District, Risk, Perfect Liars Club, Better Said Than Done, and more. Her story was recorded this year in Washington, D.C. in April. Jen's story is a great reminder that helping people means showing up for them on their worst days. Here's Jen. When I was younger, I wanted to be a clown. I loved clowns. They would entertain people. They would uplift the mood. If you were having a bad day, they'd make you feel better. Then I started to watch more films that involved clowns, and I realized that they were actually quite terrifying. <laughs> when I got to the age of about like nine or 10, my parents were like, let's try to think of something a little bit more stable. So my parents being West African immigrants, it was doctor or lawyer. I chose doctor because that was the way that I could truly help people. And I felt like my calling was to help people. So going throughout elementary school, middle school, and high school, I did all of the things that somebody would do if they wanted to go to medical school. I was heavy into the sciences. I did every single program you could think of where they would ship you off and then expose you to doctors and say, this is how you become a doctor. When I got to college, I majored in bio and pre-med, and I lasted about a year and a half when I realized I don't really actually like this. I don't care about the waggle dance of a honeybee. I don't know why I need to know about the waggle dance of a honeybee to help people. And more importantly, I was not good at it. I could not memorize things. The connections were not great. If you needed me to write a 5,000 word paper in about four hours, sure. And I could persuade you, but the, the waggle dance, that was not happening. So I kind of put that in the back of my mind and said, you know what, maybe after school I will figure out some unconventional route to getting to be a doctor. My senior year of college, about three weeks before graduation, I got a call. My father had had a stroke. It was his second stroke. My mother told me, they put him in a coma, everything is fine, don't worry about coming home right now, you're coming during the weekend, just come as you had already planned. So that Sunday I drove all the way out to Long Island went directly to the hospital, went into the room, and I saw my mom sitting by his bed. She looked visibly upset, which was weird because my mom was like the rock. 
You know, like she did not show emotion, especially in times like that when she's trying to calm everybody else down. It's like when you're in the airplane and, you know, there's turbulence, you look at the flight attendant. My mom was the flight attendant. So you look at her face and you're like, I know to be okay, but she was not okay. She told me that right before I had gotten there, the doctor had burst through the curtain, grabbed the chart on my dad's bed, looked at it, looked at my dad, yelled to the nurse, why did you call me here for this man? He's already dead. My mom was in the corner and he didn't see her. So she let him know that she was there. He apologized profusely and then she let him know all about himself. A couple of hours later, that same doctor came down to come speak to the both of us. And this, this man looked different than the man that my mom had described because his eyes were kind and his voice was comforting, but the words that he was saying were neither kind nor comforting. You know, as time goes on, organs get less viable for donation. So you do need to make a decision at some point. Now we had made our decision. We were gonna go home with our person, organs intact. That was the plan. So every day we would visit with my dad. We would sit with him, we would talk with him, talk to him, we'd bring music, play the music for him, but nothing was changing. That Monday, my mother made the very difficult decision to take him off of life support. Now, after that happened, I was angry. I was angry at the doctor because why was he so concerned about this hypothetical person who might need organs? Why was he not concerned about the person that was there in front of him? I was angry at the paramedics because why did they take him to that hospital? Everybody knows that Brookhaven is shit. Stony Brook, it's only like 30 minutes away, but it's a much better hospital. Why did they not take him there? So I vowed I would have nothing to do with medicine because they do not help people. It's all a racket. They don't care about actually saving people and helping them. I was angry for many, many, many years, and then something changed in 2019. I took a CPR class with the paramedic, and he said, in my job, I show up for people on their worst day. And I think that my job is to try to make their worst day a little less bad. And I may not know all of the answers. I may not be able to help all the way, but at least I can show up for them. And that kind of struck a chord with me because I had never thought about helping people in that way, in that very direct way of showing up for them. So I started to think maybe this is something that I could do that could kind of fill that need that I had that was, that was in my soul that I wanted to do something directly to help people. So I looked into what it would take to become a volunteer EMT. And the next year I enrolled in EMT school. I was absolutely terrified. Because remember the waggle dance of the honeybee? I'm like, how am I going to remember all this stuff? There's a lot of memorization. There's a lot of just having to learn all of this information quickly. But a very weird thing happened. I was able to do it. I was learning about anatomy and physiology. I was learning about all of these different illnesses and different interventions. I was learning how to do assessments on patients, which is basically like choose your own adventure. You're looking at somebody, you're asking them questions, and you're thinking, hmm, this can go left or right. Maybe I can figure out what to do to make this not go really far right. I was doing well, and I was having a really good time, and I was learning that there are so many different ways that you can help people. When I spoke with my friends who were already paramedics and EMTs, they said, it's great that you're in school, but once you actually go out into the field, it's going to be completely different because that's a whole other world. This is giving you the basics. 
And when I actually started to ride, I saw that. Sometimes we'd go in and we'd spend so much time trying to convince somebody to go to the hospital. Like the man who had the overdose that wasn't breathing. We brought him back with Narcan, and his only concern was the fact that he had paid for a room to party with two women and they were gone. And we said, sir, that is not your concern. You almost died. And we talked to him for a long, long time, and he did not want to go with us. We left him with Narcan, but luckily that night, we never got a call from that Motel 6. Sometimes the calls are things that you never think are going to be anything. Like the man who was going to the bathroom and he fell. His wife didn't have any legs. She couldn't pick him up. So they asked us to come. And we thought this was going to be a basic thing that wasn't going to be a big deal. But we figured out the reason why he fell and he passed out was he was about to have a really big emergency. And we were there. But sometimes there's no emergency. Sometimes people just haven't spoken to anybody in weeks. So they do have a little bit of pain and they say, can you please come and look at it and check us out? And we do. And they feel better just because we were there. But the common thread is that we showed up for people on their worst day or on their like not so great day, but we showed up. As I've been volunteering, this has really helped me in kind of making peace with what happened with my dad. I understand now why the paramedics didn't take him to that faraway hospital, because I've been on the calls where somebody says, I want to go to ABC hospital that's 30 minutes away, and we're looking at them, and we're looking at what's happening, and we know we don't have 30 minutes to take them to that place. They need to go to the hospital that's seven minutes away. I also have made peace with the doctor in terms of the kind words that he said, because knowing more about how strokes present, Thinking about how you can take one person's tragedy and turn it into joy for somebody else, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. I've also learned from that doctor because I know not to let anybody know how upset or annoyed I am to be in the situation that I'm in. So when we get that 2 a.m. toe pain call that we know is not really a big deal and it's so cold outside and we know that this woman is gonna wanna go to the hospital and that's gonna mean an hour and a half of sitting in the hospital bay. We smile, we ask her how she's doing, we take her vitals and we make her feel okay because this might be her worst day. When I was younger, I said I wanted to help people and I don't think I really knew what that meant. But today, I know that helping people means showing up for them, especially on their worst day. Thank you. That was Jen. To learn more about her, visit our website, storyclatter.org. Being a storyteller on stage is just one way to make story clutter happen. But if standing alone in the spotlight in front of an audience doesn't speak to you, maybe becoming a story clutter donor might be more your speed. Story clutter donors play a vital role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story clutter is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please donate to the story clutter at storyclutter.org donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, and you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclatter.org slash donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports the Story Collider. 
Our next story is from Teresa Ball. Teresa is a registered nurse who works in the ER of a level one trauma hospital. She's also a mom, a yogi, and a success and wellness coach. Her story was recorded at QED Astoria in New York in November 2022. Today, she delivers a burst of inspiration that should resonate with everyone who's had to push through a mountain of obstacles. Teresa's amazing, and I can't wait for you to meet her. Here's Teresa. I'm standing in my kitchen making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I'm trying really hard not to get peanut butter on my scrubs, and, and it's hard. It's hard because I'm rushing, and I'm rushing because I got to get my kids to daycare and I got to get my ass to work on time. And it doesn't help that they are taking forever to finish their breakfast. I'm just about done wrapping up their sandwiches when my youngest daughter, Bella, with a mouthful of oatmeal, looks at me and says, Mommy, 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 I want to be a nurse like you when I grow up. And I want to tell her, no, no, anything but that. You could be so much more than a nurse. You could be so much better than me. You should be a doctor instead. And before I answer her, I think about when I was a kid and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I can remember telling my mom as she stood in our tiny little kitchen in Far Rock, Queens. And she looked down at me and she said, no, Miha, no, you can't be a lady doctor. Your brother's going to be a doctor. You should be a nurse instead. I always wanted to be a nurse and I was stuck taking care of you. But you, you could be one for me. See, my brother is a genius, and he was a year ahead of me in school. And a lot of our teachers expected me to be as smart as him. And to their utter disappointment, I was not. I was a late reader. Math was a foreign language to me. And as much as I love science, it was a challenge. And every time I tried to be as smart as him, I never could. And our seventh grade science teacher took every opportunity he could to remind me of that even in front of the entire class. He would say things like, you'll never be as smart as your brother. You'll never be as good as your brother. And my all-time fave, you're nothing but a waste of space. It stung. <clears throat> By the end of seventh grade, I kept getting into fights. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. <laughs> she said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle to Long Beach. New York. And when I got there, I started making friends. And I also made a friend with something or someones that I would be friends with for a long time, drugs and alcohol. By the time I got to ninth grade, I was left back before Christmas break. Not because I was stupid, but because I just never went. They even gave me an aptitude test to see if I had any mental disabilities. I didn't. I was just really bad. I found myself sitting in the principal's office awaiting my police escort for a crime I committed and for one I didn't. I broke my truancy agreement and I was also accused of selling LSD to a classmate who took it and had a bad trip and thought it was gonna be a good idea to go on top of the school roof. He's okay. He's living in Albuquerque. He has five kids and he's a paratrooper. <laughs> I really don't know what fucking happened to him, but. <laughs> <laughs> I went through halfway schools, halfway houses, and when I got back home, I decided I'm gonna get through high school. And it wasn't because 
no one told me I could. It was because I had to get the fuck out of there. I couldn't take it anymore. I hated it there. When I, my senior year in high school, my, my love for science was reignited. I took marine biology and environmental science, and I loved it. I even went to beach cleanups and volunteered my time to help clean up the neighborhood. I got accepted into SUNY Purchase for environmental science. And I was all ready to go until I didn't go. I stayed back home. I worked really shitty jobs because I didn't believe in myself. <clears throat> By the time I was 20, I was pregnant. That baby didn't work. <laughs> and I knew the moment I felt her inside of me that I had to change. And it wasn't for me because I, I fucking hated myself. It was for her. It was for her. I had to be better. And when my mom handed me a brochure about medical assisting when I was six months pregnant, instead of giving her the whole rigmarole of that's your dream, you live it, I'm going to be me, I'm me, I'm me, me, I took it. And I went. And I loved it. And I wanted more. I would work seven days a week and save up money to put myself through college to become a nurse. I worked full time and I went to school in the evening. It strained my relationships, it strained my finances, and it strained me. I literally eat, ate, breathed, and shitted nursing. I would study so hard that books would fall on top of me while I, and I, while I would pass out. <clears throat> I graduated from Suffolk Community College. Woo! <laughs> with a GPA of 3.98. And I took my boards, and I am now a registered nurse. Thank you. And month after month went by, and I kept applying for jobs and kept getting the answer no. I didn't have enough experience, and I didn't have my bachelor's degree. So no job. Nine months would go by. I got my diploma in the mail, and I threw it. It meant nothing at this time. I finally got a job working in a nursing home. Woohoo! <laughs> I worked the night shift and basically just pushed pills. That's all I did. I was a drug pusher again. I finally got my coveted hospital job, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. I worked in the ER where all the action was. All the beauty, all the horror, all the terror, and all the sadness. And there are times, especially during COVID and after, where I feel like maybe I should have been a veterinarian. Maybe it's not too late. They don't use insurance. And there are times where I think about quitting and never looking back. But when that one patient looks at me and says, thank you, you're an angel. And when that one family member looks at us and says, thank you, I know that it was all worth the struggle. 
that we're all living the dream. I look down, I got peanut butter on my scrubs. <laughs> my daughter's looking at me, oatmeal on her lips. And I say to her, you know what, Bella? You could be anything you want. I'll be so proud of you. And I turned to my son. I said, what about you, puppy? What do you want to be? He looks at me and he says, I want to be a YouTuber. <laughs> that was Teresa. If you'd like to learn more about her, visit our website, storyclatter.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Story Clatter, but there are so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storyclutter.org to become a financial supporter. Also, just a reminder that we're bringing you the ultimate story slam showdown online on December 12th. Join us for an unforgettable night of storytelling and suspense. Our fantastic storytellers will take the virtual stage to share their incredible tales, but there's a twist. You decide who emerges as the story slam winner. This night is all about supporting great storytelling and the power of personal narratives. Donate to cast your vote for your favorite storyteller or storytellers throughout the night and watch as they battle it out for the ultimate title. And the best part? All proceeds from this electrifying evening go to support the Story Clatter's incredible programs, ensuring we continue to celebrate the art of storytelling. Hosted by our very own senior producer, Paula Croxon, this is a showdown you don't want to miss. Register for free and get ready to be swept away by the magic of storytelling. And if you can't make it on December 12th or you're having trouble choosing your favorite storyteller, we've got you covered. Make a donation to Story Clatter to support our impactful work in 2024. Visit storyclatter.org for all the details. The Story Clatter is very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Shane Hanlon, Mariam Zaring-Halam, Tracy Rowland, and Tracy Sigara. Special thanks goes out to The Story Collider's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Leslie Bernson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, I'll be back with stories that explore this thing we call reality. You won't want to miss it. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.